Hey, I am so excited to jump into week two of more. Uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, as a brief kind of like, you know, pick me up to speed, we began just kind of holding as a community the sense of lack that many of us hold within our experience of the faith, our experience of the church, in particular for those of us uh, kind of in the, uh, the global West, for those of us American Christians, uh, for those of each of us as we are, that kind of sense of lack, that uh, gap that we sense when we look at, um, when we read the Bible and we look at the experience of the early church and then we look at our lives and it seems like there's this big gap from one side to the other. Or we read stories of Christians throughout history and church communities throughout history and then we look at our own. Or when we look at churches across the globe and other churches and Christians as they're at work within the world today and then we kind of look at our own and we kind of just once again feel like there's this big gap between us and them. And often most painful for a lot of us is we have this gap that we feel between us and our current present experience of the church and of the faith and that former version of ourselves for those of us that are followers of Jesus. We look at this age when we were younger, when maybe we first came to faith or some other particular season of our life and we're like, man, that was it and now I'm over here, which isn't a great Feeling. And so last week, what we began with was looking at naming the reason for that gap that we face. And so we began with, once again, to requote the uh, prominent uh, evangelist, American evangelist, Billy Graham. Uh, he says, The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the quote leading up to this, he talks about and names all of those things that I just talked about, us naming, the, the sense of defeat and failure or just that uh, laxity within our faith. And like, what, what, what is the name of the gap between what I'm experiencing in the church and in myself and everything that I'm seeing in the Bible, in church history, in the global church today, and even in parts of my life that aren't this one, the name of the gap is the lack of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so last week we began by just looking at the person of the word, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, of God's personal empowering presence in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father and the promise of Jesus the Son who has come to work through and empower the church to show and tell the kingdom of God at work within the world. Like that is what the Holy Spirit, that's who he is and that's what and so this week, I wanted to just focus in on that particular phrase that Billy Graham used here of not just the thing that the most you know, desperate need that we have is not just the Holy Spirit, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so today, I just want to kind of, let's just hang it. What, what, what does that mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, that's where we're going to be today. And so to help us with that, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles with you. Would you go ahead and turn or uh, tap your way there? We also have Bibles set at the back of the room. Uh, if uh, you don't have a Bible to call your own and you're kind of like, you know, done with looking at like the Bible app, as helpful as that is, um, we've got some Bibles that are for free in the back and available for you. But once you've found Ephesians 3 verse 16, would you join me in standing if you're able for the reading of the scriptures today? So we're jumping right into the middle, <clears throat> excuse me, of Ephesians 
And so we're jumping right in the middle of a letter that Paul, the apostle, has written to the church in Ephesus. And this is his prayer for them, which uh, my hope is that this might be our prayer for ourselves today. Paul prays, I pray that he, being the Father God, he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, we pray for our time uh, together today. Father, by just repraying Paul's words over us, we pray that you may grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power in our inner being through your spirit, and that Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that we, being rooted and firmly established in love, that we would be able to comprehend with all of God's people what is the length and the height and the depth of God's love. God, we pray that we might know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of you. And so now, to you, God, who are able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think or all that I might be able to say in these next couple of moments, God, that you would work that same power you worked in the church in Ephesus that you've been working in your church in us. And so to you, be glory in the church and in Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go and be seated. So... What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's kind of the question I want to focus on today. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Or as Paul says at the end of Ephesians 3 there, filled with all the fullness of God. Now, when I originally was working on the sermon, I had this whole like kind of fun tour through the Old Testament and trying to like unpack what it means to be filled with the Spirit throughout the scriptures. And then I realized that Paul does it in the passage for me. So we're just going to go with what Paul says. Look back at Ephesians chapter three and verse 16. This is all when Paul says, filled with all the fullness of God. How does he define it? In verse 16, to be filled with the spirit, with the fullness of God is to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the spirit. The first element of being filled with the spirit is a strengthening of power. Like we looked at last week, it is to have an empowerment at work within you. And so it's the, the trivia game of the week. So you're going to a party this week and you, you know, you're, I'm, I'm not very good at small talk. So here's your trivia question that I'm going to be using uh, to, get, to get through small talk is, um, who was the first person in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit? I don't know what kind of, you're like, what kind of cocktail parties is Ryan going to? Uh, the first person to be filled with the Spirit at the end of the book of Genesis is Joseph. And it's specifically a filling of the Spirit with an ability to interpret and discern dreams. So you just go, hmm, okay, interesting. The second, a little bit later in the story, nobody knows or remember, we all like Joseph because he had the cool coat. Nobody remembers Bezalel, and half of that is because he doesn't have a great name. 
But Bezalel is this incredible uh, artisan who God's spirit fills him and empowers him with, with not dream interpretation, but uh, creativity to create like these incredible works of art to go in the tabernacle. So when the spirit of God comes and strengthens with power, it's a power to interpret dreams, which is on one end of like the supernatural to the very, very like awesome artistry. You continue through the story and then we meet um, Joshua, who's coming into backfill as Moses of leading the people of Israel into the promised land. And for him, he is filled with the spirit and it's leadership gifts his ability to lead the people of God. So just like notice the range of the power that's at work. And that's just in the first three. As you go through, you go into the book of Judges and you find men and women with that same uh, leadership and in some cases like actual physical strength that comes and at work within them. The story continues and you see the prophets at work. Those who have this indwelling power to see their present from God's perspective, calling for people to live in light of how God sees reality. Through the Old Testament, then you've got Jesus is filled with the Spirit. And we, you've all read the stories of the power that he has, this discernment and wisdom, healing, the ability to command and conquer even like these demonic dark work within the world and in, within people. Like this is, this is the story of when, when, when Paul goes to be strengthened with power, this is what he has in mind. Is that kind of strength and power being at work within the church of Ephesus? He continues, to be filled with all the fullness of God is not just, you know, Christian superpowers, but, which is how we sometimes read that, but verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the work of the Spirit dwelling, filling his people is not just empowerment for ministry and for work, it's also this abiding work of Jesus indwelling, making his home in your heart, the center of yourself. We've talked about discipleship as being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. This is what Paul's talking about here, indwelling you. It's not just deep intimacy, it is, but even more than that, it's the character of Jesus being present within your life. It's you being with Jesus constantly. Every moment you're with Jesus because he's dwelling with you. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. He continues in verse 17 that it's not just Jesus dwelling in you. It's not just being strengthened with power. It's you being rooted and firmly established in love. How many of your relationships do you genuinely feel rooted and firmly established within? How many, how many relationships do you genuinely feel a sense of strong foundation and footing within? An assurance of the relationship that you have with that other person. There's something that comes when you are filled with the fullness of God that your sense of God's love for you becomes, he uses both uh, agricultural and then architectural language. Rooted like a plant, deep roots. The wind may blow it, but it doesn't fall over. An architecture, this foundation, this being established in that love, this immovable building. So when you think about your, how many of you genuinely carry out the way that when you think about the way that God thinks about you, you feel like I'd say, man, I, am, I feel rooted and firmly established in my sense of assurance that God loves me and is with me and at work within me. Being with the, filled with the Spirit is that experience being your experience. Which leads to verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, to filled with all the fullness of God is that you may comprehend and know God's love and Jesus' love for you. 
Notice that he also says, with all the saints, that this is a communal filling at work within you, that you, might, you have a greater comprehension of just how much God loves you, a greater knowledge of what he says is actually unknowable at the end of the day, but you get a little bit more stepping into just realizing how much God the Father and Jesus the Son love you and delight in you. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, that is, that is the experience of it. And so this is not just abstract talk right now. Throughout the scriptures, when people are filled with the Spirit, they got this kind of stuff going on. It is a clearly like, discernible reality in someone. In Acts chapter 7, when they're, the early church is like, you know what, we need more than just like pastors. We need to raise up some other church leaders called deacons to help in the ministry. What they look for, the primary qualification is that they're filled with the Spirit. Which means it's not just an abstract, they're, they're going, okay, here's everybody in the church, and you know what, we know Greg and Lisa, though these are definitely not like Greek and Jewish names in the early church, but all the same, we, we see within them a discernible difference from the rest of the community. There's some kind of being rooted and firmly established. There's empowerment for ministry. So those are the ones that we're calling into this role. It's not just seen by church leaders, Pharaoh sees it in Joseph. To the outside world, they look in at people filled with the Spirit and they go, these humans are different than, than me and than the rest of us. And even crazier, it's felt by babies in the womb. John the Baptist gets filled with the Spirit in utero and then when Elizabeth is with Mary who's pregnant, John starts freaking out and kicking. He's like rejoicing and delighting in the love of Christ that's now come into the world. And so it's, it's a clearly discernible reality. What we're talking about here is not abstract theology. It is a lived, discernible experience in the work of the church. So when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, the thing that Billy Graham, that you and I are feeling as the gap between this existence within my faith, my life, and the one that I see over there that I know is possible to me, but I don't know what the gap is this. You being strengthened with power in the Holy Spirit. You having Christ dwelling more deeply and richly in you. You being more rooted and firmly established in the love of God. And you having a greater comprehension of and knowledge of just how much you are loved by God. This is the thing that fills the gap. And so the question here is, is, is what Paul's talking about here a... Past, something that's, done, that's happened in the past, is it something that's presently happening within the church? Is it a prayerful possibility? Or is it, we're just doing like Greek grammar right now, okay? We're, you guys are gonna Bible geek out with me for a minute, but it'll be worth it in a couple minutes, so I promise. Or is this a command? Is this an imperative when Paul's talking here? So is this a past tense thing? Is this a present tense thing? Is this a potential future prayerful possibility? Or is it a command? You guys can answer. It's okay. If you're wrong, it's going to be great. Um, no, I'm just, you guys you technically just, no, well, no, unfortunately, not this one. See, <laughs> like I stepped out and I tried to answer and help, but I got shot down. Let, read, read with grammar. Look, look, just, just read. I pray that he may grant you. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you may be strengthened, that you may be able to comprehend. It's a prayerful possibility. It's something that he looks at the church in Ephesus and goes, you guys presently are not experiencing this. And so I'm praying that you would. It's a prayerful possibility. But 
Because Rachel's not entirely wrong. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Not entirely wrong. That sounded so uh, condescending. That was not my intent at all, Rachel. She's like, I'm never inviting you to concerts ever again. Okay, verse, verse 13. Is that where I begin? Yeah, verse 13. Look at this. Paul, same letter, same church. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Stop right here for a moment. Right here, this is where I got my one more noodle thing last week, right? It's the promised down payment on the inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the one more noodle of the coming bowl of spaghetti. For those of you that weren't here, you're like, I have no idea what we're talking about right now. So let's just stop right here. So far, is the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit a past present possibility or a command in these verses here? Past tense, good, all right, past, yes. So a moment ago, Paul's talking about this indwelling work of the Holy Spirit as a possibility. Right here, he's talking about it as something that's already happened. Okay, keep going, verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your love and faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of his people, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Now here it is. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So we just had passed. Now he's gone back to Ephesians chapter three. It's a prayerful possibility here, isn't it? That you may experience this, that you may. So it's like, so has it happened or, or might, may it happen? Continue in verse 20. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, Jesus has been set up, every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come. He subjected everything under his feet. He's appointed Jesus as head over everything for the sake of the church, which is his body, and the church is the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So in Ephesians 3, he was praying that you may be filled with all the fullness. Here... Jesus is present tense, filling the church with the fullness. Do, are you guys, are you guys, your brains are kind of, you know, right? You're like, I'm more confused about the spirit than I came in. That's, in, that's entirely the point, okay? That's entirely the point. So you think it's broken now. Just go one more over, one page to Ephesians 5, 18. Ephesians chapter 5. 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. More on that in a moment. But be filled by the Spirit. So is it past tense, present reality, future possibility, or an imperative command that's set on you that you have some culpability and responsibility for? Now we get to Rachel's all of the above, right? 
So what, why is this so important? Is very regularly within the church, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, is we wanna make a li- lines of demarcation, and you have tribes and traditions in the church that divide at certain points that Paul would say, actually this giant paradox that's breaking your brain is precisely the space you're supposed to be in. So for some of you, you were raised in a place that your filling of the Spirit came, like Paul says, when you believed and when you received the gospel, and, and, that's, and then you stay there. So the whole goal is just going deeper in what I've heard and what I've believed. And then there's others of us who were raised in context where like, that was great, but the cross is meant to be a door, not the finish line. And so the whole point is empowerment for the work of Jesus in your life. And so you've got to pursue it and go for it as a future possibility, if not an absolute command that depends on you. And others that are, would be of the more kind of mystical or um, mystic tradition in the way that they believe, would believe that Jesus is a present thing that you're stepping into and receiving that's available to you in every single moment. And Paul would go, hey guys, <laughs> yes, all of the above. You, when you heard and believed, for some of you that are working through this right now, if you hear and believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come, that he has died, that he's been raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and has sent his spirit to empower and free and forgive all of that work, when the moment that you believe that is being true about you, the Holy Spirit fills you and does a work within you. And Jesus is presently pouring out his spirit on the church, filling it with his very being. And so because of that, the question is then, and this is where we're gonna go with the rest of our time, are we receptive, not to, the whole point of all of this with the more series is what Jesus is pouring into his church is nothing more than just the same thing he was pouring out from the beginning. And so the issue is not, is there something other than what Jesus has for us, but are we willing to go deeper in the very thing that Jesus died and rose from the dead to give us in the first place? Are you guys tracking with the paradox here and and the invitation that's available to us? If not, I'm still getting my head around it, so it's okay. It's okay. But, But when we talk about being filled, this is what we're talking about, something that began when we heard and believed and something that we go deeper into through us being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something that Jesus is committed to and ongoing doing right now, but 518 and Paul's prayers would tell us It's both a command. It's something we have to open ourselves up to and pray for. And so for the remainder of the time, with that kind of just set up, the remainder of the time, I just want to focus on if if there is some culpability and responsibility that we have for this work of the Spirit in us, just to focus on what are two of the roadblocks that we need to attend to if we want to open ourselves to going deeper in the very thing that Jesus has for us, and then what are the two things that do open ourselves to that work? Does that sound good? All right, cool. Everybody's nodding. You guys are either in the zone or you guys are just out of it. And either way, I'm just going to keep going and we'll, I'm, some of you guys are here. Um, so let's, let's attend to this. What, oh, before I go forward, to summarize everything I've just tried to do in a really difficult way, P.T. O'Brien, uh, his commentary on Ephesians writes, when he's talking about all this filling language, what's Paul's doing? They are to become what they already are. And being filled by the Spirit is an important means in the process. When the Apostle Paul desires that his readers may be strengthened through the Spirit and experience the effects of Christ's indwelling so that they may be filled with all the fullness of God, he is saying that they may be all that God wants them to be. 
So this whole more series and everything we're talking about is not extra credit on top of what Jesus has done. It's you fully receiving all that Jesus has done and wants to do within you. Does that make sense? Thank you, PT, O'Brien. This is why he's the, the scholar writing books and you're stuck with me. So, so if this is the life that we want, a more full experience of Jesus and empowerment for the work that he has within us, a deeper experience of all that Jesus has for us, we have to attend to two roadblocks and two openers. So roadblocks to this. The first comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. You'll see it behind me. Where Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, simply says, don't stifle the spirit. The word stifle, because like, when was the last time any of us used stifle? Like in a, in a, it's better because it, most translations have it as don't quench the spirit, which is like a good thing or a bad thing. Like if it's Gatorade, that's great. Like don't, don't quench the spirit. But then if it's a fire, it's bad. So the, the, the Greek word that Paul's writing here is actually language from like tending the fire. And so to stifle, to quench the fire would be to extinguish, to put it out. So Paul simply says, don't put out the work of the Spirit in the community. So what are some of the ways that we do that? What are some of the ways that we stifle the work of the Spirit within us? Well, some, one of them is when we turn the Spirit into like an abstract concept or theme, rather than a person at work within the gathering, a person who is with us in this room at work within your hearts, at work within the scriptures right now, at work within the, at work within the songs that we sing. Like, not just an, I, like, oh, this, like, basically a synonym for when, the way people talk about, like, the universe. It's like, oh, the universe is for me. Like, the universe has got it out for me today, right? It's like, no, we're talking about a person. We're talking about the spirit who's at work. And so one of the ways that we stifle, we extinguish the spirit, is by treating the spirit not like a person, but like a concept or a thing. But another way that we do this is by being apathetic to the necessity of the Spirit in our lives. What Paul calls living by the flesh is where we're living by our own strength. We're living by what we can do, what we can muster up. And so the Spirit is like, man, that, that's cool for you. Like, if you want to go like extra credit Christian territory, but like I'm just kind of doing the normal Christian thing over here. And, and what we're doing, we're stifling the Spirit from working within our church and within our lives. An apathy to the spirit. I'm just kind of, you're like, the spirit is, in many ways, like a gentleman. Like he, he will let us set the trajectory and the bounds of the relationship. And so if we're apathetic to him and we want to just kind of go and do church and our Sunday gatherings with a really set order where everything's perfect, we don't leave any room for spontaneous work of the spirit within our community. The spirit will, okay, well, he waits to be invited in. Now, as a quick note, here is when I talk about opening ourselves up for spontaneous work of the Spirit. I'm not, some of us have been raised, <laughs> hi, in a, in, a, in, a, in a tradition or in a background where talking about the spontaneous work of the Spirit is basically chaos. Like it's just, you've, some of you have been invited to one of those churches or you were raised in one of those where they're like, yeah, the work of the Spirit. And you're like people screaming and rolling around on the ground and like chairs are flying. You're like, I don't know what is going on. Right? So let me just say, and you're going to hear more on this in the coming weeks, that when the Spirit comes, God is a God of order and not disorder. And so us opening ourselves up for spontaneous work or prophetic words, all this kind of stuff, is not the same as, you know, no holds barred, like, worship service, right? 
Like just, we're gonna go crazy. No, but there is a level where when we have a service that's so built out, so ordered that there's no room for us to say, Spirit, what are you actually saying right now? What are you inviting us into? Then the Spirit, he's not gonna force himself into the situation. And just as much as we can do that with our Sunday gatherings, we can do that with all of our lives. Having a life that's so ordered and busy and moving through the day that we don't have any space where we just ask, Spirit, how are you leading me in this moment? Spirit, how do you want to fill, how do you want to be present within this moment and within this work? Within right now, dealing with dirty diapers or right now, and I'm about to go into this meeting. Spirit, how do you want to lead? How do you want to, how do you want to, how do you want to work? Another way that we can stifle the Spirit, I believe, is um, specifically within a um, tradition within the church that's usually called cessationism. Um, and so cessationism would be um, a belief that these gifts, this ongoing work of the Spirit, specifically in some of these more tangible sign gifts like healing or tongues or prophecy, that those stopped at like the closure of the New Testament. Like when John finished Revelation, okay, we're done now, right? And um, that those things are no longer necessary. And, and so cessationist, ceased. Those gifts have ceased. Now, I'll say this with all of the humility in the world, because I know some of you are in the room right now, that this would be the way that you lean, and I'm going to try to win you over over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but I also have so many friends that love Jesus and are committed to the way of Jesus in so many ways, like awesome people. So this is said with all humility. Though I don't believe the intent is to stifle the Spirit, that often a cessationist posture, either explicitly or just by the way that you carry yourself, you may be like, yeah, gifts, but you're not pursuing them earnestly, like Paul would tell us, is a form of stifling the spirit. So if you don't believe me, just look at what, where Paul goes after this. Don't stifle the spirit, verses 20 and 21. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. So Paul, what does it mean to stifle the spirit to despise the prophetic at, at work within the church community? But notice Paul doesn't say that that because you're going to let prophetic utterances here, everybody goes crazy and whatever anybody says is taken as the spirit. No, test it. Work through it. Submit it to scriptures. Bring it up to the community. Work through those things. But don't stifle. Don't disdain. Don't set away the work of the spirit in the community. Don't stifle. Don't extinguish. So this is the first kind of element. How, how can we, how do we, what are the roadblocks to us being filled with the spirit? Some of them are by stifling it, by extinguishing it. If you want to jump back over to Ephesians with me, Ephesians chapter four, we'll look at the second roadblock that we need to attend to. Ephesians chapter four, verse, I'm in Philippians, that's the problem, guys. Like, this isn't Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, Paul says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him, spirit, him, not it, for the day of redemption. So Thessalonians, don't stifle the spirit, don't extinguish it. And here, Paul picks up on this theme all throughout the scriptures of grieving the Holy Spirit. Those who have been utilized, called to be the people of God, who rather than holding an openness and a receptivity and an obedience to and a following of the prompting of the Holy Spirit, turn from God and turn back towards resisting God, rebelling from God. The language biblically for this would be sin, and so if, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, don't stifle, but also, the question is simply, are you actually living in such a way that the Spirit has anything to bless and fill? Notice the surrounding passage of Ephesians 4. What does Paul say here? 
Oh, you can go to the next one, Lo. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor because we're members of one another. So be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Let them do honest work with their own hands so they have something to share and give with others. You can go to the next. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what's good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. This is the context, right? The ways that you talk, the ways that you live. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So notice, if you want to be open to the Spirit, you're saying, man, I want a filling of the Word. I want that empowerment. I want that indwelling work of Jesus. I want to be rooted in knowledge and that love. I want rootedness and knowledge of that love. Then you just go, am, am I living in such a way as to open for that to be an availability to me? Have I, have I turned? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit in any of these ways? Am I withholding forgiveness? Am I living in bitterness? Am I in a habit of slander and talking to one another? Am I stealing? Am I thief? Am I? He lists these all as options of what, if you want to be hold, filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to attend to the question of, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Just a little bit earlier in Ephesians 4, as he's building up to this, he also goes on to listen in verse 19. Listing all of these, he also talks about this spiritual callousness, this hardness of heart that comes through in his language as people give themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Notice all throughout this passage, he's been praying for the church in Ephesus to have this robust desire for more and more of the Spirit of God that would open up their hearts to know about how loved they are by the Father and in the Son, this opening up of themselves, this softening of their hearts to the work of Jesus. And he warns them of this callousness that works on the heart and actually withers the heart up as the desire for more and more is not of the Spirit, but of sensuality, of lust, of the attract of the attention of others, of the affections of others. He talks about this sexual sin in the context of one of the other things that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, he says, are you living in such a way? Are you living in such a way that you're listening to what he's actually called you to? One more way of grieving the Holy Spirit and then, um, and then we'll continue to ways to open it. Back to verse 18. I, was, I said I would come back to this. Verse 18, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit is held in contrast to drunkenness. Now, this has um, been misused by, um, hi, um, coming out of Pentecostal tradition. This has been used by some in the Pentecostal tradition to say that um, Paul's saying, hey, don't get drunk, don't go crazy, you know, all of the lose control of yourself with wine. Let all of that same stuff happen, but through the Holy Spirit. And so there's a whole kind of trajectory of that when the Spirit fills someone, that what it looks like is they're drunk. The slurred words are tripping around. They're not themselves. But in the context, Paul's actually saying just the opposite. Um, Logue, you can go to the next one. Watch the comparing contrast that he does in Ephesians 5 leading up to verse 18. You can go to the next one, Lo. Uh, 5.18, just the, the next one. 
unless I didn't make it. Uh-oh. Okay, well, while he's looking for that, just listen. 5.15, he says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most use of time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So what Paul is going on is to be filled with the Spirit is a way of wisdom. It's actually being more in control of yourself. It's actually being not reckless, but responsible, making the best use of time. And so he says, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, apparently one of the first things that the church in Ephesus had to attend to was they were getting sloshed, like on a regular basis. And he's like, this is not... You, you, I may be praying for this possibility to be in you, but as long as you guys continue to relate to alcohol this way, and he's filling the blank with what other substance, you just, you've, you've cut yourself off from an ability to be filled with the Spirit. And so I'll just submit within collect. We are like a, a church that we believe, like the Psalm says, that wine is a gift from God along with alcohol, but one to be stewarded well. And so this is just, you know, putting on the hat, friendly, you know, neighborhood pastor moment. Like there are some of you that like, whether it's wine or alcohol, whatever substance, like it, I may pray for you to be filled with the Spirit and the, you, just, you just drink too much. Regularly drinking to the point of drunkenness. And, I, and I, you know how I know? It's because I, I, I'm your pastor. I sit in meetings with many of you and we've talked through this before. And so if it's true with some of you, it's likely true with a handful of you. That if we're wanting this kind of movement, if we're wanting spirit fill us to help us enter into what the church is meant to be and can be, then God help me attend to the ways that I'm relating to one another, my, my relationships around me, not lying, not deceiving, not be withholding forgiveness and bearing grudges. Help me to attend to the way that I use my body and to steward my sexuality in the direction of faithfulness to you. And God, help me to become more dependent and more in control through the work of the Spirit than on alcohol or any other substances. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that fills, but Paul would say there's a responsibility that you have of opening yourself up to that work. You with me? Okay. So now let's go to the happy stuff. How do we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit? How do we open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit within us. And so we'll just flip these around, honestly. So the first is rather than grieving the Holy Spirit, we come to the place of grieving our sin. Um, I get this language from 2 Corinthians. You'll see behind me. Paul says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing happening within the church in Corinth. They, they've entered into the season of a church of grieving over sin within their community. And he says, look what it's produced in you guys. This desire to clear yourselves, to build out a new reputation for the community. What indignation, anger, not towards one another, but towards sin. What fear, that is a, a holy reverence of God. What deep longing and hunger for the work of the Spirit. What zeal, that energy at work within the community. And what acts of justice that the church has now gone on and done. In every way, you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. Rather than grieving the Spirit, 
Paul says there is a right kind of grieving that comes at looking at your sin and letting it emotionally break you to the point of saying, I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want us to be this kind of church community anymore. And so Paul says, man, that's, that's actually, we are like such an anti-shame cult. Like, I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm not here to cause anybody. I'm not here to yuck your yum or whatever it may be. You never heard that? That's a good one. Some of you did not like that. Okay, wow. <laughs> but, but here's what Paul would say is, man, there is a form of right and good, what he calls godly grief that is received as a form of repentance, of holding before God what I've gone through, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, and it allows as I hold that in repentance, receiving the forgiveness of God, absolutely. But it also it creates this discontentment within myself that Paul says, that's the cornerstone to this new zeal, this new energy, this new working of God within your midst. And so rather than grieving the spirit, the invitation is to grieve, to grieve your sin. And there are some of you today that will receive that and some of you that won't. And, and that will be the make or break for some of you in the coming seasons of your life on what your receptivity to the Spirit looks like. Um, that, was, that was for free, um, I guess, or prophetic. I don't know, maybe. Um, so, what are, what are the, so that's the first opener, is to move from grieving our sin, uh, to move from grieving the Spirit to grieving our sin. And so rather than second... Um, quenching the flame, quenching, stifling the spirit, we would say it's an invitation to giving ourselves to stoking the flame, stoking that fire, pouring on the fuel to let that fire burn within us, which Paul describes in Ephesians chapter five, going back. We're just jumping around today. But Ephesians chapter five, remember he says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the spirit, speaking, now notice, He's about to say, okay, how do I, Paul, open myself up to be filled by the Spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, and then submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So do you want to open yourself up to be filled by the Spirit, a greater experience of it? We'll just work backwards. First is submitting to one another serving one another. The Holy Spirit is always on Team Jesus at work within the church and wants to build up and equip the church for ministry. And so do you want to be filled? The question is, are you contributing to the thing that the Spirit loves? Are you giving yourself to the thing that the Spirit wants to empower? And so this is like right now, I'm just thinking about our, those of our volunteers who are serving within the kids ministry right now, is we are prone to make the space where the spirit opening happens, like in a couple minutes when we do psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as Paul says, right? And here he would say, those serving in the kids ministry right now, and for those of you that are going to be serving next week and in the coming weeks, are standing in a place with just as much openness to what the Spirit wants to do in filling you as when you got your hands raised in worship or you're like up on the front like crying or whatever and during the response time. So the first is submitting to one another. The second is giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second way to be open to the Spirit's work is gratitude and thanksgiving. Just, man, God, you have been so good. You're here with me today. You've been here with me. And so I'm not gonna talk too much about this. We're gonna get a whole week on this um, next week. Last week, we were gonna go to prophecy, or next week, we are gonna go to prophecy, um, but we're gonna spend two extra weeks on fostering hunger 
And one of the first ways that um, I believe the Spirit's inviting us to do that is through remembering and giving thanks for our story so far. And so thanking, we'll do more on that next week. He says, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. This is, most would argue what's going on here is he's talking about like you humming and singing Jesus songs during the rest of the week. Because he's just about to talk in a moment at the top about what we're about to do in our weekly gathering. And so it seems here of like, man, you want to open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. He's thinking about like your Monday to Saturday that you've got like Jesus psalms and hymns that you're singing while you're doing the dishes, while you're changing diapers, while you're on the way to work. And that may be like, that may just be simple little pieces of scripture that you've put to music that yourself. And maybe songs that you, you may be getting your Hillsong Bethel on, or you've got like your, you know, like me, like Gregorian chants and stuff on the way to like work. Like, here we go, right? I'm not kidding. One of my favorite hymns is is 500 years old. It's written by Martin Luther. It's incredible. Um, So he would say, opening up to the spirit is making this music and melody in your heart during the week. And then he says, addressing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here, the one another is he's talking about this, this time right here, is that we are addressing one another through psalms that would be music that's been um, put to like Bible passages. So in a minute, we're actually gonna be singing Psalm 51. We're gonna be doing exactly what, um, what Paul talks about here. So Psalm, and then hymns would be any other song that's been written within the church that's just we've written up for benefit. And then spiritual songs, I'm gonna talk about this more in a couple of weeks when we talk about worshiping in spirit and truth, but um, there's a very good case that this would be spontaneous worship in the midst, where in, the, in between songs or something, that the leader or someone that you just, we just continue, but there's now, there's no lyrics for this, but we're all singing our own spiritual songs. Once again, not in chaos, but in some level of opening ourselves up to the spontaneous leading of the spirit. So here we go, there's the gap. At the end of the day, only the Spirit is the one that can fill us, right? Only the Spirit can fill us. But we have a culpability, a responsibility to open ourselves up to what the Spirit wants to do in us. And so the way that we do that is we need to attend to, am I grieving the Spirit or am I grieving over my sin and opening myself up to what the Spirit wants to do? Am I stifling the Spirit or am I giving myself to the sort of little habits and little things that I can do that open my heart up for the work of the Spirit? And, and we just do that and, and bake all of that in prayer, waiting for the Spirit to work. And so this is when we talk about revival, when you talk about outpouring, when you talk about awakening on a personal level or within a community. It's, this, is what, this is it. This is what, how you get in is how you get going and keep going. When you look at every great revival or awakening, it's marked by a grief for sin and a people stoking the flames of what the Spirit wants to do through singing, through repenting, through praying together, through giving thanks to God for what he's done, and then serving one another in a context of love. Like, this is what it's all about. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to do exactly what Paul just said. We're going to make space for the Spirit to be at work within our our community today. So let's pray, and then I'll set up this time of response for us.